Welcome back to GGM UK's podcast, placing women and ethnic minorities at the heart of all of our projects. My name is Holly Hostetler Davis, and I am a GGM reporter. Today, I am joined by two amazing young women, Eloise Barry and Emma Bentley, to talk about the gender pain gap and how it has impacted their journeys with endometriosis, a chronic and debilitating condition causing painful or heavy periods. Throughout the months of July and August, the hashtag Walk for Endo Challenge, where you walk 7.5 kilometres, the equivalent to the average number of years it takes to get an endometriosis diagnosis, has once again brought the topic of the gender pain gap to the forefront of our minds. Let's start by outlining what is meant by the gender pain gap, which refers to the bias against women as it pertains to the treatment of pain. What does it mean to you, Eloise? I think it's not something I necessarily could compare like my experiences with a man's experiences. It's more that in general, I feel like it's obvious in that women's pro- problems don't have a lot of solutions, like um, endometriosis, loads of other gynecological conditions can be really debilitating, but don't have the same research or funding that um, things that affect men. Like for example, um, I think wasn't Viagra first developed for like something, some kind of pain that women experienced, and then they realised that actually they could market it better for men. Um, so yeah, I just feel like it's just more of a broader thing rather than necessarily like my individual experience is probably more part of a broader thing rather than just like I've witnessed it in terms of like me, my experience versus another a man's experience if that makes sense it's quite yeah that's really interesting I didn't know that about the Viagra thing so that's really interesting thank you and Emma how would you describe it um I think that there is a big issue not just in the UK but obviously um all over really in the way that we view men and women and their pain levels Um, I think that women's pain just is not taken as seriously as a man's pain. Um, And I do think that um, a lot of that stems from, um, you know, years and years ago when women would do childbirth without any pain medication and things like that. And it was just expected. Um, I think personally for me, I've experienced it in the sense that um, I grew up I have a brother, um, obviously I I have a dad as well, and I I have often found that whenever they're in pain or whenever there's an issue there, um, they are just treated with better healthcare and and believed as well. So I think that's um, something that I have been more aware of growing up. As I mentioned before, the average time it takes to get an endometriosis diagnosis is seven and a half years, which is an incredibly long time to live with no answers. Could you tell us a bit about your journey to diagnosis, please, Eloise? I got diagnosed about two and a half years ago, um, but I'd suspected it for about a year before that. But I'd had really painful periods ever since I first got them when I was 11. So if you count it from then, it would have been about 10 years. Um, I had these painful periods like most of my teenage years and I would just every time I went to the doctor they just give me the same painkillers or maybe different painkillers and it was never something that really worked and then then 
they suggested the pill when I was 15. And even then, like, that didn't work. And every time it didn't work, they, instead of investigating it further, it would just, like, I'd just sort of be told, oh, that's just normal. Like, that's expected for you to have painful periods. And so it was only when I started getting, like, random pain in, like, whenever even though I was taking the pill, I'd get, I'd get the pain, like even without a period that I like thought something was wrong and it was like stopping me from going to university. I had to resit exams. Um, it massively like affected my life because it wasn't just in those five days in the month. It was like any time and it would just hit randomly. That's when I sort of pushed to get referred to a gynecologist, but even that took so long and that whole process took about, almost a year and then it was only when I had a laparoscopy which is like surgery um got diagnosed and I was actually really relieved when they said I'd had it even though it's kind of like messed up that I was relieved that I had a chronic condition because it just kind of validated everything I'd been saying for a long time um and showed that it wasn't like just something in my head or just like the way it's meant to be yeah thank you and emma how was your journey to diagnosis so mine was um a little bit different because i was actually misdiagnosed on laparoscopy um so i very similarly I, i've struggled for many years um i had always when i started my periods when i was about 13 they weren't that bad i really i'm not the classic story of kind of they started and they were really heavy they really weren't that bad um, and then when I got to about 15, 16, it really changed and they became quite heavy. And again, went to the doctor, they put me on the mini pill um, and I didn't have a period for four years. And I thought it was fantastic, quite frankly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I didn't really think much of it. And then a lot of hormonal problems started to happen and the pain started to happen when I was about 18. Um, and yeah, I just noticed different symptoms. And I went to lots of different gynecologists and my mum actually suffers with endometriosis. And um, as some people may or may not know, um, that endometriosis can be hereditary. So it's quite important, obviously, if you have got a mum or a sister or an aunt um, or someone in your family line to, to mention that. Um, but everybody was kind of convinced that it was PCOS and, and it just, there was no endo there. I did end up having a laparoscopy in 2017 with a just a general gynecologist um, and when I woke up from that surgery she told me that there was absolutely nothing wrong with me there was no endometriosis there um, I had a shiny uterus apparently and it was all fine and I was to just go on my way and essentially see a CBT therapist because the pain must be psychological I yeah carried on and of course the pain got worse as the endometriosis grew and then um, to fast forward to about January 2019 so last year um, the pain was excruciating and I actually went into A&E um, with a suspected kidney stone and that's when they found that my uterus and ovary were fused together with suspected endometriosis um, so it was a really quite a big shock actually um, at that point and then I managed to find a fantastic specialist and had my second laparoscopy in two, uh, in April 2019 so about 18 months ago and he found widespread endometriosis over a lot of my organs um, and actually noticed them from the photos in 2017 too that they were there it was there at the time um, and yeah, so it was it was very difficult, obviously, because it's, it's quite uncommon. I say that loosely, but it is quite uncommon that you um, 
miss it on a laparoscopy because obviously you are getting the closest view as possible. So it was quite unheard of. Um, but yeah, so I was diagnosed officially in April 2019. Thank you. Yeah, I think it was really interesting that you both kind of touched on how it was really difficult to deal with mentally. And I think that could be like a reason why the gender pain gap is so like not really heard of because women are told so often that their pain is just all in their head. I once wrote something about the gender pain bias and I was looking into it um, and like a connection between like hysteria, mental hysteria, um, like was seen as something that only women suffered from, like women getting really anxious and having delusions. And the word hysteria comes from the Greek word for womb. And because it, it was always seen as something only women had, like women would have mental health problems only. And it would come from the uterus. Um, and so I think that has like massively influenced medicine still, this like belief that women are like different and they're sort of because of their biology, they're more likely to I don't know, imagine things or have psychosomatic symptoms. So I also asked 50 random people on my Instagram if they had ever like, experienced the gender pain gap and what they thought about it. And 54% of people had said that they had experienced it. And I was quite surprised by this figure as I feel the gender pain gap is often hidden from mainstream media. Do you agree with this? Yeah, I think so. Like, it's not something... I really thought about until I was faced, like I remember when I was younger, I used to think why was there a whole separate branch of medicine for gynecology and obstetrics and stuff. But when you're older, it's kind of obvious. It's because like, well, childbirth obviously, but there's a lot of other conditions women can suffer from. But even, the, even then, it was only something I experienced when I had these kind of problems myself. Um, and it was weird because when I was getting, so had it, like it was suspected, but I wasn't diagnosed. And I talk about it a lot of like boys or men that I talked about would get really like, ooh, like what's that? Um, and have no idea and be really like funny and awkward about it. And I was like, it's not that awkward. It's just, you know, that's just what it is. Um, so I think maybe, I think maybe women's health conditions aren't talked about enough. Um, and so as a result, the gender health gap isn't spoken about or even thought about as much. Yeah, do you agree with that, Emma? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that there is a huge problem with um, women's health being a real taboo subject still. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying that in 2020. Um, but it really is. I think periods and um, talking about your ovaries and your uterus and, um, you know, essentially endometriosis is a disease. So you're talking about a diseased uterus or a diseased ovary. And it doesn't sound particularly appealing. And I think that that is a huge issue, that it's a taboo. And it's really interesting what you said, Eloise, about um, when you speak to men. So something that I'm really passionate about is trying to create the conversation more um, with men, because I believe knowledge is power. Um, and the more that we talk about this subject, the more that um, it's going to become more accepted. I think my experience um, directly with the gender um, pain gap is more based on um, the idea of treatment. So a lot of gynecologists, male and female, um, are quite quick to suggest to get pregnant, for example, as a form of treatment, which 
I think we all know is, is absolutely not a form of treatment and quite a reckless thing to suggest. And I do really believe that if we were talking about a disease that affects both men and women, um, by now they would have come up with a more realistic uh, solution or suggestion surrounding that. Um, and I think a lot of the language as well surrounding it, I've been in quite a few appointments and internal examinations where they've discovered, you know, uh, let's say an ovary is fused to another organ. And um, I remember a male gynecologist actually describing it as it's the same and the equivalent as a man's testicle being put into a vice <laughs> and turned. And that's essentially what is happening inside your body each month. Um, and I, it really struck me because I thought if that was happening, there would absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, be a lot more done about it and I can almost guarantee there'd be a cure too. <laughs> yeah I get what you mean that's actually really interesting as well so we kind of spoke a bit then about like the lack of proper research and the lack of education surrounding women's health conditions I don't know about you but I was certainly never taught about what's normal and what's not normal in terms of symptoms of conditions such as endometriosis and PCOS etc what do you think could be done to lessen the gender pain gap? And so what kind of education should we be provided with? Educating girls about their own bodies, not just in terms of like being a receptacle for sex, literally, like just, you know, all the health issues that can come with it. Um, being aware of symptoms so you can spot them. Maybe... I think sexual health clinics are a really good place. They seem to, like the nurses there seem to have so much better knowledge of these things than GPs do, which is quite weird. I think, yeah, equipping girls with the knowledge they need to be able to recognise symptoms, advocate for themselves. And then also just making these kind of things a normal conversation, not just for girls in school, because it ends up being something um like you said a taboo and if it's just taught about generally you know these health problems that women can get it's just taught about normally without a taboo then girls won't feel embarrassed or afraid to sort of talk about it with boys as well and then boys hopefully wouldn't see it as like icky or gross and so you know if there's just a general more of a general awareness I think that would really help because my two of my aunts have ha had endometriosis and even despite that I never until I was about 20 21 connected that thought oh maybe like I could have inherited that because we always assumed like even my mom assumed that it was only something you could get when you were older um, and I don't know why we assume that it's just that just shows how there's like a lack of general understanding and awareness even amongst adults so I think if you just start educating from a younger age that's the best way forward. Yeah I agree. Emma do you have anything to add to that? Yeah I mean really just going off of what you said um, Eloise about sex education so I know that it's very different in different counties different schools but um, I know that recently there, there's a local school that separates and I know when I was at school um, they separate the classes into gender um, and I think that that is a big problem in itself because I think this should be discussed 
us with both boys and girls of a certain age and men and women um, because although it does technically only affect um, people with uh, female reproductive organs um, it can of course have a huge effect on relationships and, and future um, families and, th and things like that so it, the men do actually have a huge part in it um, I think GP knowledge and training is a massive issue too so um, I believe that GPs need further training and actually what endometriosis is you'd be really surprised how many GPs I've seen that have absolutely no idea what it actually is um, and actually how best to treat it and the, the certain um, hormones to avoid um, and just really knowing when something's out of your field and, and passing it on um, but yeah just general awareness really and watching out with the signs and the symptoms in terms of of that side of things I think you can never be too young to get the symptoms and that's a really important message um, and yeah and just being really really open about it I talk to all my girlfriends and um, and guy friends <laughs> about it whether they like it or not <laughs> um, and I think it's really important to just be really really open and honest because you never know you being really open about something could really help someone else yeah thank you we're currently living in really difficult times, especially for those trying to get a diagnosis or have their pain treated. How do you think COVID-19 will affect sufferers of endometriosis and other painful gynae conditions? COVID is affecting lots of other types of illnesses, but it's not coronavirus. It's more the fact that hospitals are being shut down and resources are being put towards treating coronavirus, but because the NHS is, is massively underfunded anyway. That means that they're shutting, you know, they're cancelling unnecessary um, operations, things that aren't life-threatening, um, like cancer treatments, everyone's been talking about that. Um, I remember like when around my first operation, it was in winter and they had that big crisis with every winter, the NHS seems to go into crisis with how there's all these winter flus and everything and they can't cope. So there are huge long waiting lists for treatments that are unrelated and they have to cancel operations. And I remember being really scared that they were gonna cancel mine. And I think I just, like, cause I was in February, I just managed to miss out on that. But that's definitely gonna be happening with, because of coronavirus is taking up all the priority. And I think as it goes into winter, that will get even worse. And I just think, I never felt like endometriosis was, it was never treated as urgent because it doesn't kill anyone. And so, you know, so things will get put back, your treatment will get put back and surgeries and stuff. Um, and I think not, it's not less, it's not like because of coronavirus, I think it's just because of the general lack of funding of the NHS and the general attitude towards conditions that aren't life-threatening that means that it, endometriosis could end up, and things like that could end up being sort of pushed to the side a bit yeah I completely agree actually and, and it's really interesting what you said about because it's not life-threatening um it's not taken seriously I mean I know of quite a few women on my Instagram that discuss that yes it, it can't 
technically kill you, but it can kill your organs. You know, there's quite a few people that um, have lost organs due to endometriosis um, and have had to have catheters and really awful procedures. Um, so it's, it can be actually quite life limiting and debilitating. And I think that should be taken equally as seriously. Um, I definitely think the current situation is going to have a huge impact on uh, women with endometriosis, not just at the moment, but actually I, I predict probably for quite a few years, there's a huge backlog. And I know from quite a few women that were having their surgery um, in, let's say, February, March time, they're still waiting for a date, um, which is just heartbreaking because, you know, the longer that you leave endometriosis untreated or, um, for example, if, if you're going for excision surgery, the more it's going to spread and the more risk you have of damage to organs and um, of course more pain you're living day to day in absolute agony so um, yeah I do feel like that there's going to be quite a big problem and I'm I my heart really does go out to people that are waiting for surgery and consultations and treatment um, and that it's been pushed back. So an informative discussion to finish what advice would you give to people who are in a situation where their pain isn't being taken seriously? It's really difficult because you really have to stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself um, and push really hard. I found especially at the GP stage, I had to go back again and again and again, see different GPs or see ones who I thought would be a bit more sympathetic and really push for them to refer me on and it was only when I had you know I had a male GP I assumed oh he won't really understand because he's a male GP but he was like amazing and was you know doing that choosing book and finding me the nearest possible place to get the quickest referral to a gynecologist um, but it's sad that you should have to sort of know be able to push like that and find the like a sympathetic person when actually that's just their job um in the past i've even had one or one of my parents come in with me to see the gp even like when i'm in when i was like 20 um because i felt like i wasn't being taken seriously enough and if i had someone who lived with me and saw what i was going through able to also back me up that they'd believe me more and I think that's it's really unfair people have to go through that like another another time I had to do that was normally when you have surgery um, you're asked to stop taking any contraception because it can um, it's just an extra risk factor in getting blood clots after surgery and I remember I really didn't want to stop taking the pill because it was the only thing keeping my pain at bay most of the time so but you know when I was getting ready for my pre-op and stuff they were like no you have to stop it we can't give you a surgery until you stop it so I had to write a letter to my surgeon to be like look this I know this is, isn't what you normally do but I'm asking for an exception um, because you know I'm young I'm not in any risk categories in any other way so like I accept having a slightly higher risk just so I can function with it with my life well enough up until my surgery because I'm already missing so much of university etc etc um and I had to like really appeal to them and that I had an amazing surgeon and he like really listened um 
said it was okay on these sort of Facebook support groups for sufferers of endometriosis, which are, which are actually really good to join if you like want advice and support. Um, but I remember seeing this girl who was like 18 saying that her surgeon was or like the hospital was saying she couldn't have her laparoscopy until she lost a certain amount of weight. And like, because her BMI was over a certain point, you know, objectively she was she wasn't that much that overweight it wasn't a huge risk that's just an arbitrary thing they say to everyone and how are you meant to lose weight if you can't exercise and you're in so much pain um or maybe you you know resort to food as like a comfort i know that's like something a lot of people do standing up for yourself not taking no for an answer and not having like GPs who don't really know what they're talking about make you doubt yourself. Emma, do you have any other advice to add? Yeah, I think my main thing that I always say to people is knowledge is power. So research this condition within an inch of your life. It, I, you know, it's really important that you know all the facts. Um, nobody cares about your body as much as you do. Um, and that's just a really sad fact. Um, but yeah, researching, don't be put off of male doctors is another thing I would say. Um, so I would just say that, you know, may, I know that endometriosis can be something that um, it can be a little bit embarrassing or can feel a bit embarrassing to talk to um, a male doctor about. But actually, in my experience, I have found that male doctors have actually been more helpful. My consultants are, in fact, male um and sometimes they can have a more objective view regarding periods and things like that um i think as well you've got to be your own advocate so remember that you it's your body you have every right to say no to anything you're not comfortable with um be really clear before you're going into surgery exactly what you are happy with happening i.e if they were planning to put a coil in and you aren't happy with that you need to make it really clear um and yeah just not being afraid to um, really just, just stand up for yourself and, and demand the best treatment and care for your body. Um, and always, you know, ask to be referred to specialists as well, because GPs are amazing, but they are general practice and they are there to refer you on to different specialized fields. So yeah, that would be my advice. That's great. Thank you. Please do undertake your own research on women's conditions that are often overlooked and never be afraid to advocate for yourself or for others. We'll see you next month for more GGM UK. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.